Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. We have a uh, special topic today. Actually, it's um, some of you may have read this before, but it's a piece I wrote earlier in the year, and I felt like right now it would be appropriate uh, to read it again to you because um, the Lottie Moon offering, this is uh, again, this is for Southern Baptists. I know some of you PCA guys and people in other denominations say, why don't you focus on my denomination? And uh, I do have some plans actually to do some PCA type stuff, but um, I already had this and it, it just, this morning I woke up, I'll tell you why I thought of this uh, in a minute, but I, 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 something happened that sparked in my mind. You know, I have that piece and, and we're right at the time where that Lottie Moon offering in the Southern Baptist churches is going to be taken up, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for missions. And uh, so I wanted you uh, to hear this piece uh, that I have, um, uh, and uh, it, it should really—I'll I'll link it as well. If you want to share the text version with friends, you can go share that. Uh, but it's, um, <laughs> it's just interesting to me. Uh, I mean, the long and short of it is cancel culture eats into just about everything, but um, why not the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? Why is that not something that Southern Baptists want to cancel? And uh, the reason is, I think, because it brings in a lot of money, and it has for many years. And there are many, if you start thinking about it, I think you'll probably come up with other examples, uh, even in the national civil discourse, et cetera, of things that aren't canceled. And you're like, why are those things not canceled? Uh, it, it, they're canceled when it becomes convenient for those who are in power, it seems. Uh, it, and in California, you know, I was just reading um, this morning, uh, <laughs> a culmination of things happened this morning, but I was reading... There is a school out, I think it was in the San Francisco area. I don't think it was in San Francisco, but outside somewhere. Uh, it was at, I think, Abraham Lincoln High School. It was named after Lincoln, and uh, we've got to change, change the name of that high school. Now, for me, I mean, I'm living in Virginia right now. This is happening all over Virginia. I mean, in ways that are just, just renaming lakes. I mean, renaming streets, renaming uh, schools. Um I mean, I think it was last week, uh, I also saw that uh, the Indians, uh, the sports team, got to change that name as well. Uh, it just, things are changing at a rapid pace. And this is by design. This is something, I, I want you to understand that this is not something unique to the United States either. This has happened all over the world. I'm reading a book right now on uh, Mao, uh, the first uh, communist dictator of China. And uh, his tactics are still in effect today. I mean, they're more technologically advanced, but the same basic thing. And, um, and if you read about his cultural revolution, which is what I'm in the middle of right now in the book, uh, it is all about um, publicly shaming people who are not loyal to the narrative, which the party narrative. Uh, it's about ripping down uh, the old to bring in the new. Uh, and the old, for I mean, not everything that they had that they respected, like statues of Buddha and stuff, would be things we necessarily, as Christians, we certainly wouldn't uh, condone those things. But um, but this was bigger. This is what I want you to understand, because I've had some people comment, oh, you know, taking down statues and idol, I, that's an opportunity for idolatry. That's really good. This You're not understanding, I think, if that's what you think is happening. The motivation is not the same. Like the, for the reason you might have to take down a Buddha statue in your mind is not the reason that Mao and his thugs were taking down Buddha statues. Uh, it, is, it, it was a, a way to destabilize the culture. And, um, and even if we would maybe agree on a certain level uh, with um, t tearing down false religions, uh, we wouldn't be doing it for the reasons they're doing it or in the way that they're doing it. 
And and th this is, I mean, it's the same mentality ISIS has, but it's the same mentality the SJWs in the United States have. It, it, and this, by the way, this has happened all over uh, places like like South Africa, for instance, uh, or formerly Rhodesia, <laughs> Zimbabwe. Uh, the changing of names. There's still debates over what to call certain cities. Um, changing of, uh, you, you know, loc uh, there was one, and I can't remember all the names. My uh, my brother was telling me this uh, about, what, two, two three weeks ago, because he, he has traveled over there, and he was telling me about how there's a, a town, I think it was in South Africa, it was named after a person who settled the area, uh, cultivated the land, you know, pioneer, really, and, and this town got named after him. It's a region, I guess, a small town. And he was killed by basically some thugs. Uh, and that now the town has been renamed after the thug who killed him. And so that, that's a political renaming. And that's what we're having, what we're seeing in this country. Um, the, uh, so so it, it, this is not the first time in world history. This is not the first time even in contemporary uh, history, what's happening around us right this second, that this kind of thing is happening. It's not unique. Um, and so I, I noticed that this morning, this is one of the things that kind of kicked this idea off in my head is that uh, Andrew Cuomo, he's the governor of New York. And um, boy, you know, some tyrannical behavior. If you want to talk about that, I, I grew up, as many of you know, in upstate New York. And um, visiting there is a different experience. It is a different place. The people are paranoid to a level that I have never seen in my life uh, because of this virus. But I think also because of their, they're afraid of government uh, cracking down on them and social um, ostracization. Uh, this is a problem that's happening in Canada as well. Uh, your neighbors can report on you, that kind of thing. It's not, Canada's worse from what I understand, but New York is pretty bad. And uh, I mean, even culturally, I, I was in, um, this is before Thanksgiving, or right right around the time, the week uh, right before, and then the week of Thanksgiving, over that two-week period, I was, I'd travel, I was in Virginia, I was in Pennsylvania, and I was in New York, and I was in three different Planet Fitnesses. And I went to the one in Virginia, you have to have a mask on for like 10 feet, and then you can take it off. No one really cares. <laughs> the one in Pennsylvania, they require you to have a mask on, but you go in, half the people don't have it on, and the other half kind of have it maybe you know under their nose so a few people have it over their nose you go to new york you walk in they ask you what states have you traveled in are you running a temperature do you have any symptoms of covid uh, were you exposed to a person with covid and then when you finally get past all that and you're allowed in to the gym every single person the biggest weightlifters even have the mask over their nose which i mean watching people on cardio machines trying to breathe uh was not fun <laughs> um and i I remember, you know, walking around and I, I was uh, I was on uh, one of the cardio machines and I got off of it and I, I was going to go to stretch and I had the, the, it had fallen down. It was over my nose, um, which it, honestly, that's kind of by habit. You know, most of the places I go into, uh, I, I, I'd like to breathe. So uh, a guy came up to me and he I mean, he confronted me on the spot and it was just it, that's New York. You know, I went hiking there. In, in the middle of the woods, and you see people way off in the distance alone wearing a mask. And you wonder why. Well, it's because of uh, the, the narrative that has gone out in New York that people have believed, mostly stemming from the, uh, the governor's office. I mean, people are genuinely freaked out. And the ones who aren't are genuinely afraid that the government's going to come after them. Uh, and this has been a whole challenge, a major challenge for places like churches. But, but, uh, Cuomo, uh, the governor, has 
I think now twice that I can think of, has uh, said that, uh, you know, when, when there's success with the virus, it's not because of God. It's because of the way people have uh, fallen in line and followed his rules, his, his mandates, his edicts, uh, which, are, which are not laws. They're just his edicts. Um, I, I've, uh, my wife just showed me this morning that he wants to raise taxes in New York during a pandemic. He wants to raise taxes. There is a bill that I found out is working its way through, and we'll see where it goes, to mandate vaccinations. Cuomo says, and, and, what I'm, and I should probably stop, pause there, because if you're from another state, you, you may think, what in the world? Yes, and, and this hasn't gone into effect yet, but there's a potential there for mandating that every resident of the state of New York has to, by law, have the COVID-19 vaccine. We don't even do that for the flu shot. Uh, <laughs> He wants to, uh, what did he say, have a, create a small army, a small army, word he used, to uh, implement this vaccine. And then I saw, now amidst all this tyranny that is happening, uh, illegal, uh, not passing laws, but just, you know, putting out edicts, amidst all of this, he decides to ban the Confederate battle flag. I thought that was an interesting thing. Now, for those outside of New York, uh, you may not realize this, but actually upstate New York is fairly conservative. Um, the area I grew up in used to be, uh, but a lot of people from the city have moved up, not so much anymore. Uh, but if you go, you know, you go out to the Finger Lakes region, you go in the Adirondacks, you, uh, northern New York, western New York, it, it is a fairly conservative area. And um, as a kid, I remember growing up, we, you know, going to the county fairs and stuff, you'd see uh, Confederate battle flags all over the place. They were being sold everywhere. I mean, I just go back five years ago, and I remember visiting the county fair, and they still had that. Uh, and this, you know, it, it's, I know this is weird for those who are maybe outside uh, New York and don't understand the dynamic there. You just think New York City. But, um, but upstate is, is a whole different animal uh, in many ways. And, uh, and that's kind of what I grew up with in, in, in many ways. And um, I, no one I knew who displayed that symbol ever did so uh, because of any racial animosity or anything like that. It was a symbol in their minds of either being a redneck and liking fishing and hunting or resistance of some kind. Uh, to federal overreach, uh, state overreach, that kind of thing. Well, that's the thing that got me thinking. I said, why is he doing this now? And I, I, I showed the usual excuses. Uh, it's, it's racist, etc. But he's banning the, the sale, specifically the sale of this flag. And I thought, you know, this is the same, this, you know, I'm hearing about Lincoln being, you know, changing the name of the school, you know, uh, Indians can't be the name of a, a sports team. And now, uh, you know, Cuomo is saying he, he's literally telling private businesses what they can and they can't sell. Um, and without even a, a law, as I understand it, I think it's, this is just an executive order of, uh, of his. And why now? Why of all the times to do, I mean, why didn't he do this in the middle of the, the Black Lives Matter, you know, the uh, movement when it was hot? You know, why didn't he say, take this as the opportunity? I mean, that's what a lot of other states did, right? You know, they, they had to push things through because it was an emergency now. And if we display, you know, symbols somehow, it, they're, they're contributing to the killing of George Floyd or something like that, right? Some ridiculous logic. Well, I, I, I have a, a sneaky suspicion uh, this has something to do, and maybe not everything, but it has something to do with the fact that that is one of the symbols uh, of resistance. And people, some, some people still see it that way, that this is a symbol that represents um, the secession of the certain portion of states, a region of this country, 
uh, at a certain point in time. They felt that uh, they had the right to do this. And there was a war that happened, not initiated by them. Uh, but uh, and then that's a that's a topic for a whole nother uh, podcast. But in general, at the beginning, the intention was to peacefully leave. Just just leave. You don't want uh, federal anything. We don't your, want your funds. We don't want you to have garrison soldiers, which is uh, what uh, many people think sparked uh, the um, the war itself. It really didn't. But we don't want you, you know, maintaining forts with you're a foreign power at this point. We just want to be left alone in our states. And that talk is what has now been revived. And that's why I think Cuomo did this, because that is the situation we're in now. Just a few days ago, all over social media, I was seeing conservatives that I was actually surprised in some ways to see calling for secession because of what happened in the 2020 election and what is happening still. It's not over. Um, but for those who don't know, New York, there has been there. there that's one of the things that gets talked about every so often. You'll hear especially people from the upstate talking about how they want to secede from New York City. They want their own state. New York City can do its thing. We can do our thing because they're tired of having to abide by the government that New York City elects. And you hear the same thing in Virginia. And I, I'm sure there's many states like this. I'm sure Illinois probably feels that way. Uh, but, you know, we don't we, we're different than them. We're different. We have a whole different set of values and we don't want to be governed by them just because they have more population. We have more area. And uh, and so anyway, uh, that's kind of a long intro here, but I I wanted to kind of give you why I I thought about reading this article uh, for for Southern Baptists. And um, and I'm going to I'm going to say I have a few more announcements uh, that are actually one of them is, is kind of important. So I'm, but I'm going to wait till the end because I want to get to this. And uh, uh, some of you are waiting for it. And w so I'll read this and then I'll, I'll make a few more announcements. All right. So here, here's the article. And uh, I don't know why I didn't print out the title. I think, I think the title that I put on this was Time, It's Time to Cancel Lottie Moon. Okay? Lottie Moon was a missionary. It is no secret that Southern Baptist leaders carry a large burden of white guilt for historic situations and symbols they consider insensitive to Americans blessed with African lineage. They are especially ashamed of their own denomination's history. And interestingly, they think they somehow have the power to change the legacy of their self-assessed complicity through lamentation and other measures. A very white assumption from the perspective of critical race theory advocates, if there ever was one. In 1989, the convention issued a statement against racism and bigotry. They apologized for slavery in 1995. In 1996, they made a statement condemning arson in African-American churches. In 2007, they denounced the Dred Scott decision. And <laughs> a little, little, little late, little irrelevant, right, by that time. In 2015, there was another statement on racial reconciliation. The next year, they issued a statement against the Confederate battle flag. Into, and for those who don't know, by the way, whenever you, you hear Confederate battle flag, that is, that, that's the symbol that, you know, was on the top of the General Lee that, you know, you'd see at Leonard Skinnerd concerts, that kind of thing. There, there's multiple Confederate flags. Some of them you probably see quite often and don't recognize them as such. Uh, but that's, that's the one that they've, and, and that's the one actually that the, tr the troops carried. That's the one that was known as the flag of soldiers which is why it's ended up being the one that's displayed so often. It wasn't the, like the first national. It doesn't represent the government. It just represents the soldiers and their sacrifice. Um, but I digress. 
In 2017, the convention adopted a resolution against alt-white right white supremacy. In 2018, Danny Aiken, the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, sponsored a resolution which, among other things, condemned the first president of the convention, William B. Johnson, for promoting slavery in his inaugural address. Johnson's crime concerned his disagreement with the mission board in Boston, in which, which, quote, had placed itself in direct opposition to the constitution of the convention by disqualifying slaveholders, unquote, by disqualifying slaveholders from becoming missionaries and had, quote, failed to prove that slavery is, in all circumstances, sinful, unquote. This resolution failed amidst the crowded slate of resolutions also condemning some form of, you guessed it, racism. Now, another interesting tidbit. Um, when I had written this and I went back to the archive uh, where you can find William Johnson's speech, which I recommend you reading, by the way, you want to understand the history of your, con your convention. Don't let people like Danny Aiken interpret it for you. Go back and read the, the primary sources. Uh, it had been scrubbed. <laughs> so I think it was on Baptist. I think Baptist Press was the one that had originally, you could get the PDF from there, and I couldn't find it. Um, the, the link was not working. I had to go on the Wayback Machine to find it. Anyway, at uh, the convention adopted a resolution against using the curse of Ham as a justification for slavery and another statement condemning racism. Because we know that's so rampant in the Southern Baptist Convention today. People always using that curse of ham to justify slavery in 2019 or 2018. Um, add to this the various statements written, sponsored, or supported by Southern Baptist entities, and one begins to swim in a sea of anti-racist statements, all attempting to once and for all rid the convention of, as Al Mohler likes to call it, the stain of racism. The latest attempt to use racial animosity as a pretext for societal revolution has afforded Southern Baptists yet another opportunity to condemn one of their most cherished subjects, racism. And I say that on purpose, cherished subjects. They're the ones, the, the, the elites in not just the SBC, but in the national government, uh, in probably just about every institution you're part of, the elites who are pushing all this implicit bias training, etc. They're the ones obsessed with race. It's not the average ordinary person. They they don't. I mean, I, I, if you want to talk about who who's really racist, who's really the one that just judges everything based upon race, it's these people. So they do have a fondness for it, for that subject. Uh, but and again, I wrote this a couple months ago at the height of the Black Lives Matter hysteria. Prominent SBC pastors like Thabiti Anabwile and David Platt encouraged marching with Black Lives Matter. The president of the convention, J.D. Greer, and, and by the way, that march, it was a Christianized Black Lives Matter, in case someone wants to call me out for that. The president of the convention, J.D. Greer, called for the retirement of the Brodus gavel, deemed unholy for having been the unfortunate block of wood to have been in contact early on with a slaveholder and Confederate supporter. The Mississippi Baptist Convention took it upon themselves this week to condemn the Mississippi state flag for its symbolic Confederate imagery. As advocates of cheap bravery rush to show solidarity with the forces of revolution and obtain their unearned pat on the head from media elites, one wonders where this will all end. Perhaps Southern Baptist comrades should showcase their fidelity to the revolution by demonstrating some, you know, real sacrifice. So, it's easy. What they've done so far, it's easy. 
It, it, it will be easy for the scoffers and ex-vangelicals to see through token measures meant to placate other comrades. However, what if the SBC were to make a financial sacrifice for their oppressed minority brothers and sisters made in the image of God? What if Southern Baptists eliminated the Lottie Moon offering for the racism it is? So here, here's what I'm about to share with you. The, the point of this, it, this is all sarcastic. This is not, some people took this seriously when I first posted it. Uh, and I wasn't calling for this, but I'm saying if you're going to be consistent, why don't you show some actual sacrifice? If you really think that this canceling your history, canceling all the things that have been associated with you or you are associated with, or your grandparents are associated with, if you, if you think that's really what's going to save people like George Floyd, uh, then what you, what you ought to do is actually make the, the real sacrifice. And the biggest Christmas offering of the year, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, would need to be canceled if that's the case. But they don't want to cancel that. They want to do stupid things, like we're going to get rid of a, the, this gavel. So brave to get rid of a gavel, right? So brave to, uh, while the whole world is saying this flag is a symbol of, uh, and not the whole world, but the, the elites in the world, those who control the uh, levers of power, when they're all saying this particular flag is, is very problematic, and you say, well, yes, I believe, I agree with you. That's not brave. That's not brave. That's as brave as kicking a dead cat. This would be brave because this would hit them in the pocket, but they're not going to do it. So think about it. Lottie Moon was born into a, quote, 1,500-acre tobacco plantation, unquote. Her father was, quote, this largest slaveholder, 52 slaves in Abermarl. I, and I, you know, I live in Virginia, but I haven't been here long enough. I'm not sure how you Al Albemarle County, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. It's it's actually not that far from where I am. I just don't go there, so I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it yet. Um, uh, Virginia, Lottie never that we know of apologized for her privilege or her family's complicity in holding slaves. So I mean, you want to cancel all these other things? Well, I mean, this person grew up with it. Her dad was, I mean, the poster child for slavery, right? In 1875. Lottie Moon said, where the cock, quote, quote from Lottie Moon, where the Caucasian goes, he carries energy and an inferior race is aroused by the contact, unquote. In 1876, Moon claimed that, quote, self-respect, unquote, compelled her to reject any potential, quote, decision of any Chinaman or body of Chinaman to determine, quote, unquote, to determine the place of her ministry not going to submit herself to the Chinaman. Isn't that interesting? She likened such an affront to an, quote, African church in Richmond, unquote, telling Dr. Warren where she could live, where he could live. Moon was most likely referring to doc, Dr. Edward Warren, who had been the medical inspector of the Army of Northern Virginia. That's, that's Confederate, guys. Lottie Moon's sister, Oriana Russell Moon Andrews, had served the Confederate Army as a nurse under Warren. Also, in 1876, Moon talked about another missionary, Mrs. Holmes, who didn't want to move and abandon her, quote, duty to these poor heathen, unquote, but knew her son, Landrum, needed to go to the United States. The boy would likely live with Methodist relatives, quote, northern in political sentiment, unquote, an arrangement whose influence Holmes was, quote, not willing to subject her boy to, unquote. Moon sought alternative arrangements for the boy to help him avoid what to her was an understandably understandable negative situation. 
In addition, Moon said Chinese funeral processions contained, quote, barbaric pomp and show, unquote, in 1884. Two years later, she proclaimed concerning China, quote, the life here, as we Western people consider life, is exceedingly narrow and contracted. Constant contact with pe people of a low civilization and many disgusting habits is a trial to one of refined feeling and tastes, unquote. In 1907, Moon opined that a large, quote, reunion of Confederate veterans, unquote, must have been, quote, pleasant, unquote. This cursory sketch of some of Lottie Moon's views make it clear that if Southern Baptists want to truly show their loyalty to the spirit of the age, they will disband the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. As an added bonus, perhaps they should return $1.5 billion in funds collected in support for their colonization work they refer to as missions. Western male Christians exploiting the legacy of a racist white female have tried to dominate the minds of brown-skinned members of minority religions for far too long. Mr. Greer, tear down your idol. Cancel Lottie Moon. And there you have it. I wrote that um, as, as a piece to put the shoe on the other foot, take the roof off, show where this kind of logic leads earlier in the year. And of course, I don't agree with any of my logic there. Uh, I'm just showing you that I'm perfectly capable of utilizing that logic very well. Uh, because it doesn't take a rocket scientist. All you have to do is you go back to the historical record, you cherry pick for what you want, you only show that, and then you vilify whatever it is you want to vilify. And you can do that with just about anyone and anything. The reason that Southern Baptists honor Lottie Moon is because of her contribution to missions, her bravery, the souls that were impacted by her ministry. Those are the kinds of things. Uh, it's not because of everything I just read to you. That, that These aren't the things that are fundamental to Lottie Moon or fundamental to why Lottie Moon is a celebrated figure. But if you believe the social justice nonsense, uh, then anything, all of this has to be fundamental. This is what must have motivated everything Lottie Moon did. I mean, and, and I mean, if you think about it, if you want to ban a flag or a gavel or uh, anything else, I mean, what about the person that you're raking in the most money from who should be the poster child for racial insensitivity uh, if we are to judge her based upon all the quotes I just read to you? This is where the logic comes apart. The wheels fall off. And this and they're not going to do it, by the way, uh, this year. Now, a generation from now and maybe even five years from now, who knows? Maybe they will. Or they'll rename it or something. But are they going to return all that money? No, this is a device for them. And they, they've raised Lottie Moon up as a hero for so many years. It would be too. It would be crazy for them to get rid of it financially. It would. You'd have an uproar. This is part of the tradition of Southern Baptists, and they're already angry that so many of their other traditions are being canceled. Uh, but it could be on the horizon because the logic lends itself to that. And then why not cancel the Apostle Paul? Why not cancel uh, the Mosaic Law? Why not cancel other things that are problematic, right? That's where this goes. So some uh, announcements for you. Um, uh, that, that was, <laughs> not to leave it on a downer, that was meant, uh, that, that whole, everything I just did was meant to show you where this leads. And, and if, if that's a way, if that's a tactic you want to use, I would just encourage you to do it. Show, show where this kind of logic leads. I mean, this is what, isn't this what Nathan the prophet kind of did with David? Uh, hey, 
Let, let me tell you about this story of someone who did this. Well, that's horrible. No one should do that. Well, when they hear me talk about Lottie Moon, hopefully the reaction is that's horrible. If they think I'm being serious, you know, they read this article. That's horrible. Who would do that? How can anyone do that? You're the man. You're the one doing it. That's the point. Related to this, though, an announcement I wanted to make, and I haven't mentioned this on the podcast before. My patrons know about this, but I sent a proposal out to a or to a certain to an organization yesterday. We'll see what they think about it. Uh, pitching the idea of a 1607 project, and you've heard about the 1619 project, uh, which attempts to essentially uh, claim that slavery and racism are the fundamental building blocks, I guess, of, of the United States, and uh, very progressively left, very chock full of memory studies and critical race theory. Um, there have been two responses uh, that I've seen attempts at a response. One is the 1776 initiative uh, Donald Trump put forth, and the other is the 1620 project. And both, in my opinion, are completely inadequate uh, to deal with the 1619 project. And more broadly speaking, to try to recover, because it's not just the 1619 project, that's just a flashpoint, but to recover the history of this country, what is fundamental to it, what it actually is, what kinds of things are true and valuable in it that we can um, uh, emulate today. Uh, it, it is a communication of place, of identity, of, of um, providence. I mean, these are the things that we've lost. And, uh, and so I have a proposal uh, that I'm hoping we can get off the ground next year and I'll keep you updated as I hear back and I decide what I'm going to do and how we're going to do it. But uh, I think it's safe to say, at the very least, we're going to have a website and uh, put some some content up there. And uh, I'm trying to figure out who who, to, who I would have run it and all that kind of stuff. But that is um, at the beginning of being in the works. Uh, another thing that is at the end of being in the works is the Discerning Christians website. I showed that, I teased that a few weeks ago, and uh, we're, we're getting near the end. Uh, like I said, this is a bunch of guys who don't have much time. We're part-time working on this thing bit by bit. But uh, it, it is coming along, and um, it will be a kind of a rudimentary social media kind of platform where you'll have a profile, but you'll be able to connect with others. And that's really the point, is connecting with others uh, on an integrated map. Um, we're going to try to you know, have maybe avatars or some way that you can be contacted without uh, getting doxxed, that kind of thing. And uh, it, it's going to help uh, pastors, uh, church planners identify regions to, to go to, uh, churches to help um, can form, connect with each other. If you can't find a church in your area, this is what I'm hearing all over the place. There's, no, there's nowhere to go. I don't have a church. Well, maybe you need to start one. Maybe uh, this could be a tool that you could use, and that's what we're hoping. So uh, that is in the works, and I'll announce that um, when it's ready. The other thing uh, is that... Uh, Social justice goes to church. I showed this two podcasts ago. Um, I, I am still selling this. I have shipped out uh, every order but the ones yesterday. Uh, so you should be getting them soon, like before Christmas. Um, you're right on that precipice right now of whether or not, if it's shipped now, you'll get it before Christmas. You might, but if the post office is really busy, you might not. So if you want this, I would order it right now. Go to Discerning Christian, Discerning Christians. <laughs> That's what I was just talking about. Go to... Um, socialjusticegoestochurch.com socialjusticegoestochurch.com and I'm going to throw this in this is a book uh, by Scott David Allen why social justice is not biblical justice any uh, amount of this book you order you will get this one free and uh, that will run the 16th and the 17th only 
16th and the 17th only. So if, if you want to get both of these books for just the price of one, of this one, then go to socialjusticegoestochurch.com. You'll go through the checkout process. You will not see uh, this book anywhere, but I'm keeping tabs on it. I know who ordered on the 16th and the 17th, and they will get that book. So uh, God bless. I hope, uh, I hope that was at least helpful to you uh, in some way. Uh, we've got a lot more content. I'll, 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 I'll tell you this. Uh, tomorrow I, I'm going to have a kind of a roundtable discussion with uh, Thomas Accord and Stephen Wolf. They have their own podcast, and they just they did a really great job, I think, talking about a philosophy of place, which I think is one of the main things we're missing right now. And, um, and I would just encourage you uh, to listen to that when we drop that, probably on Friday. Uh, but this is going to relate to the whole topic of Christian nationalism, quote unquote, and what that means and why it's a controversy and all of that. And uh, I, I've dealt with some of that, but I, I think that getting their perspective, just because they can articulate it well, I think is going to be very helpful to you. Um, and last but not least, uh, I need to say this. Uh, the election is not over. Just so so you all know, um, I've been I've been doing some research on this, and I actually even had someone, uh, someone who I went to school with, who uh, in the history program, who does good research. I even had them go uh, every once in a while. Uh, I will try to get someone else to do some research if I'm strapped for time, and uh, this person did some research for me as well. And the constitutional remedies are not exhausted yet. Uh, you may think it's over. I think the media is running a disinformation campaign right now, and they want you to feel that way. Uh, but just just a few things I'll, I'll mention real quick. Um, the electors uh, were, for six states, the electors, uh, there, there were two s sets of electors that were sent. Um, this happened on, with one state in 1960. That was the state of Hawaii. Uh, you had two slates of electors because they didn't know who really won the state, and it, it was actually flipped. And so um, that's what they're hoping to do uh, is disqualify the, the slate of electors uh, for Biden. And that effort is underway uh, in a number of states. Uh, in Michigan, there was just a forensic audit in one of the counties of uh, the Dominion machines and found a 60% error rate. There should be a less than 1% error, 60% error. Um, you have uh, in Georgia right now, now it's, I think it's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Cobb County. It's, it's a county that's fairly conservative that, honestly, it's like the, <laughs> they, they, they should have done this in you know, Atlanta or something, but they're doing this, I guess, in a place that probably doesn't have as much fraud. But the, the fact that they're doing it is significant. And I think it's because there was a poll that I, I heard about this. I didn't see it, but it came out that said Republicans in Georgia, 15 to 20%, don't even want to vote because they don't think their vote counts. And I think some Georgia Republicans uh, started to freak out. Even the establishment types start to freak out when they see things like that. And 80,000 Voters have been registered in just three weeks alone. Uh, Stacey Abrams uh, is is busy with her machine, and uh, you know Loeffler and Purdue could very well lose. And if they do, it will be in large part because of the Republicans in that state. It it, it will not be because of Democrats, although that helps. Uh, and in I think it was Arizona is also doing of the the county um, th where Phoenix is is that that county. Uh, which is probably where a lot of fraud took place. There's actually going to be a forensic audit. Should have the results hopefully next Monday of those machines. That's big. Um, there, there are challenges going on all over the place. I just saw that uh, Pennsylvania, again, the Republican Party there, is, is issuing another challenge to the Supreme Court uh, because their laws were not followed. I mean, we have across the board 
not just fraud. I mean, fraud's bad enough, but the unwillingness to follow basic laws, uh, laws against um, voting after uh, election day, uh, counting those ballots in the case of Pennsylvania, uh, laws against um, sending uh, ballots out to people who did not ask for them. Uh, th- th- I mean, we're, we're dealing with we were dealing with tyranny. I mean, in Michigan, the, the Republican slate of electors could not even make it into the Capitol building because the sergeant of arms was keeping them out by orders of the governor. That's what's happening out there. And it's, it's not a surprise people are talking about secession again. It's not a surprise that you have the symbols that might that might be associated historically with that being banned. And my suggestion, honestly, this is this is my thought on this. Um, this what needs to happen is regions of states who want to separate themselves, states who want to separate themselves, uh, need their own symbols and fearless leaders, and they need to be ha- they need to have their local history and the things that make them stand out and different reinforced. Other, otherwise, they'll just become they'll be part of this national American soup, and whatever Washington says, we must bow to. And I think a lot of people are realizing that's not working. And sometimes it's more peaceful to have uh, a divorce in the case of um, contracts that have been abrogated and abuses that have taken place than it is to uh, continue to live with one another. Uh, even if, even if, let's say Trump does a miracle, let's say uh, in in your minds, perhaps I I don't think it's actually a miracle. I th- I still. Call me crazy, but I actually still think this is in play. Uh, but um, and, and I even this morning, I'll, I'll just say this: I, I actually gave it was a small sum, but I gave a small sum uh, to Donald Trump's uh, campaign and to Sidney Powell's um, efforts as well. And I don't know where that'll all lead. I, I do know, even if Biden gets in there, I want this stuff uncovered. I want this stuff exposed, uh, and, and crazy stuff is being exposed. I even I, I posted yesterday. It was. Um, the uh, former CEO of Overstock.com talking about how he had participated in a, an FBI, I think it was FBI operation to fool Hillary Clinton into accepting a bribe, $19 million. And then he had heard from it, it was scrubbed, you know, and he basically heard from an agent uh, that the Obamas were, that, that it would, Hillary was going to be the president for the next two years, and there was no question about it. And the Obamas were going to control her because they knew she had taken this bribe, and they were going to hold it over her if she didn't do things they wanted. And then Michelle Obama was going to run. And if that's true, which, I mean, I don't, this guy, I mean, look, you don't have any reason to come forward with that kind of material if it's not true. I mean, that's just like waiting for your, waiting for the Clinton machine to kill you, or the Obama machine, as the case may be. Uh, and claim it's a suicide. I mean, to come out with that information, I mean, that is a risk on your life. I have no reason to believe that's not true uh, when someone's willing to risk their life like that. And it corroborates with other things that we're, we're hearing as well, like uh, General, um, uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, Matt McAneary or something. I think it's McAneary. But, you know, before the election, saying exactly what was going to happen because he knew about this software that would be used to manipulate the votes uh, after it appeared Trump would win and then uh, pulling it for Biden, which is what happened. So it's it's interesting. There's a lot of stuff coming to the surface, but we I want that to happen at the very least. And, and hopefully you do, too. I don't think this is uh, quite over. But um, but but whether it is or not, talking about uh, the possibility of seceding, etc., I think that's I don't think that's going to quite go away. And my suggestion is to have local symbols and local leaders. You know, if you're in upstate New York, you know, why not come up with something, I don't know, this is hypothetical, the Niagara flag. 
and you start, you know, start flying the Niagara flag, start um, the things that make you different, that separate you from uh, that other portion of the state that you don't want to be part of. Uh, Texas already has all this. <laughs> Alaska kind of has all. They have their state flag. They have, I mean, they, they, they uh, you know, you, you see when they go on TV, they'll put their cowboy hat on and stuff. They're trying to sort of, they're separating themselves. They're saying, we're different down here. And, um, and you have to create, you, you, not create artificially, but you have to reinforce uh, that cultural identity for that kind of thing to work. So anyway, um, just some, some suggestions there. Don't forget, though, about uh, that deal. Social justice goes to church and why social justice is not biblical justice uh, just today, the 16th and the 17th. And hopefully uh, if you order it now, you'll get it before Christmas. It's kind of, we're kind of on that razor's edge of whether that will happen or not, but um, sooner, better, better order it sooner than later. So God bless. Hopefully that was helpful. Bye now. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.